Are you struggling to decide where to go for your next date night? Download the Find My Happy Hours app from your app store. With the Find My Happy Hours app, you'll find the best deals on meals and drinks so you can save money and decide on where to go for date night. Support your local restaurants during the pandemic and save money doing it with the Find My Happy Hours app. And we're rolling in three, two, one. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast. (coughs) And we are rolling. And... Thank you so much, Jody. I've been chasing you for a while, as you just discovered, as you scrolled through all your messages, and yeah, uh, yeah. Fi- finally got you. Thanks for being here, brother. Sure appreciate it. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me, man. This is the first podcast I've done in since I did Jocko podcast last. How long ago was that last one? Ah, uh, man, I was still in my wheel. Was I? Wait, no, I had the dog with me, so that would have been. Like March 2019. Holy cow. Well, then it truly is even just all the more of an honor to have you on here. Well, thanks, man. Well, it's uh, proof that if a Patricia and a Royal can get together and get along, well, anybody can. Anything's possible, bro. Anything's possible. Most of my favorite people are Patricia's. Well, there you go. Now, uh, getting along with a Vandu, that could be a different challenge. Well, they are a (laughs) beautiful collection of individuals who I like spending time with but uh, you definitely like um, you definitely need to bring your A game when you're hanging with the Van Dues. How so? Well they just go hard man they don't play around they are and well I'm sorry they play around but they go hard and they and they have a good time doing it man and uh, and they all have French accents so it's great. <laughs> You know, I've uh, only worked uh, alongside them, uh, having them as enemy force on RV ninety two. Right, but that's about yeah, it. They, yeah, I know a bunch of them relieved us in uh, Kabul and on Roto Zero, where I was at Camp Warehouse, and they, I love them. I, and they and they let me practice my terrible French on them. So uh, <laughs> anyway, and and then when you see them out out and about, they're all good kids. I love them all. Awesome. Well, you know what? I like to make fun of them because they're Van Dues. But um, uh, all brothers, all the same. Brothers and sisters. Absolutely, man. That's the way I see it. Yeah, know? absolutely. You know, we could we could sit here and pick apart the, the inequities of each regiment. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all infantry and we're some of the baddest MFs, MFers in the world. Oh, no, that's as true. As far as uh, military, uh, you know, the military, uh, what do you call it, hierarchy goes. I think Canadian Armed Forces, uh, having worked with many of our allies, I would hold us up against almost any other. Um, I would hold us up against any other country's armed forces any day. Pound for pound. Pound for pound, easily uh, hold our own weight. And like uh, General Hillier always used to say, punching above our weight. I think we punch exactly where we uh, train to be, though. You know what I mean? 
I don't think we're an underdog at, at any point. We just, uh, you know, we improvise, adapt, overcome is, is I think the, uh, the one mantra that sets us apart from uh, a lot of other forces on the planet. I think that we have, because we have fewer cool toys and a smaller volume of people, uh, we have to improvise, adapt, and overcome. And our level of cross-training, like I'm sure you've worked with the Americans, I have once or twice, and uh, they can't freaking believe what we're qualified, like just a basic general fresh out of battle school infantry guy um, Mm. or gal, what uh, a basic infantry person is trained in. They're just like, what? You could do all that. It's like we have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they. Well, again, like it's like we're the way I look at it is we have all the kit that works for the most part. You know what I mean? Like we don't have a lot of gear. I think that's deemed uh, useless. Uh, and we and we master the gear that we do have. You know, and so I think you're right on the money there. Like, uh, you know, we have to. Every single member of the combat arms needs to be a force multiplier. I can't believe we got rid of the fifty though. That's a well, loss. they're back. They brought them back. They brought they brought it back. They reissued, yeah, they reissued the M2 a year or two ago. Or in the last five years, they've reissued the M2 to the units. Oh, all right. Now, as, yeah, a, like a, yeah. as a sniper, are the, is it the 50s? At, at, uh, back in the day, it was just 308s. That's all it was. 308 freaking hunting rifle. Here's your sniper rifle. Uh, well, Canadian uh, snipers, since the 70s, have had, they had a 308... Uh, custom-built marksmanship rifle that was it was uh, the what was it again the Parker Hale yeah that's right and uh, and uh, it was built for the Canadian Olympic shooting team uh, back when we had one and the forces uh, and uh, bought a bunch put them into fiberglass stocks and t- they're still a great shooting rifle to this day uh, they're just getting a little bit uh, long in the tooth um, you know as you know we have the 338 Timberwolf uh, and now like I got wounded no seven and uh, back then, the Timberwolf was the brand new kid on the block, and we had the 50 cal, and then we, of course, had the 308s. And um, you know, now they, the the guys are rocking and rolling with uh, chassis that you know they can change the barrels they, if they want to shoot further or shorter. It's uh, it's an it's actually pretty um, amazing how much uh, shooting has evolved over the last like 20 years. Now, did you uh, shoot all the rifles as part of your sn- uh, sniper qualification? Like the three hundred eight. Qualify uh, on my course, you only had to fire the three hundred eight, and we did like at the time the the because I did my course in two thousand one. Uh, actually, nine eleven happened uh, while I was on my basic sniper course, and so the there had just been implemented a sniper reinvigoration program for lack of a of a better title in my mind right now uh and basically the military dumped a whole bunch of money into um into snipers and and and, uh some of the other um specialized trades within the the units um because this was after um the airborne had been disbanded so they were looking to beef up everybody's kind of like uh specialty um uh um skill sets and uh, the snipers benefited greatly from that. And so then we got the 50, and then we got the 308 semi-automatics. We got the 556 semi-automatics, which are just uh, their marks, marksmanship C8s. Or okay. Sorry, C7s. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a – but the, sorry, back to your original question. To qualify, it's a, it was only 308, but I don't know if 
uh, today it would be 338, I'd imagine. Do you have a favorite between the 338 and the 50 and the 308? 338 uh, is by far my favorite because of its ability to fill in between, you know, 50 to 2,000 meters. Um, You know, I've heard rumors of, um, well, sorry, not rumors, but the uh the the longest shot by rob furlong was broken rob furlong the canadian sniper did the longest shot in right after 911 so i believe it was 2002 yeah and then uh, 338 magnum uh, lapua broke that record he was using a 50 338 broke that record multiple times but then the 50 cal though has been worked on and the guys have perfected it um and i know that some of the Shooters, uh, you know, in special forces and uh, and at our tier one units have, you know, we have the record for the three and a half kilometer kill. We being the Canadian, we yeah, um, with our snipers and uh, so when I was in the unit, the fifty cal was not. We didn't know enough about it, and I think you know the ammo wasn't that great, so I didn't find it accurate enough for the <laughs> for the pain it caused. Uh, when you shot it, like shooting the 50 cal, uh, we had guys with, uh, detached retinas, uh, you know, your show, my shoulder to this day is, uh, is sore from it. Like just t- thinking about it, I can feel it. <laughs> sore. Um, <laughs> Every time I think about the Carl Gustav, I get that same sensation. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's shooting the 50 cal without, without the suppressor is almost like, uh, shooting uh, the Carl G all day. You're, at the end of the day, your head is woozy and you feel like you're dehydrated and you're dizzy. But ultimately, they reduced our ability to shoot it for practice. From uh, I think it was at at one point, I think it was like 14 rounds a day only while you were allowed to shoot. Whereas you know, with 338 or 308, you can shoot all day as long yeah. as the rifle will let you. Yeah. Why did you join the army in the first place? What was the what was the impetus? What had you say? Yep, I'm doing this. Uh, well, I was. Uh, it was when I lived in Kitchener. I was born in Kitchener, and I was less than five. And uh, my uncle was a member of the Royal Canadian Regiment, and um, he came to visit us often uh, when he had time. And he would often. And this is back, obviously, in the seventies. And um, he would back the he, well. The way I remember it is, he was allowed to travel for discount on the train, so he would wear his uniform. So when he'd get to the house, he'd be in uniform, and he always had teddy bears for me. So long answer to say, I think that's what planted the seed. Yeah. And then as I grew up, uh, like I never even considered a different career uh, until I was a teenager. And I thought about joining the uh, Metro Toronto Police because I was living in Brampton at the time going with my family. Uh, we had moved there. Uh, but that was the 90s, and <laughs> the Peel Regional Police Officer at my high school told me to uh, stick with the Army or go to college to get a degree so I'll have a job when the police force tells me I'm too white and too male for them (laughs) so that kind of shot you know as a kid that shoots down your ambitions a little bit and i know i probably would have got in if i'd applied but at the time that kind of advice kind of steered me towards back towards the military and i joined the reserves at 17 to see if i would actually enjoy it and um you know ultimately i thought that 
you know, serving in your country's military is a great way to honor it. Uh, because my dad is an immigrant from uh, Germany post-war. <coughs> Pardon me. His dad was a uh, POW of the Germans. He was a Serbian border guard at the beginning of the war. My, uh, I was going to ask you about dad, your last name. I, I guess yeah, it would yeah, be. It's, yeah. yeah, so um, so he was a, or sorry, a Serbian border guard taken POW, somehow ended up on my grandma's farm in northern Germany on the coast as a laborer. <laughs> laborer <laughs> and uh, ended up you know marrying the one of the cute girls my grandma and moving to, to Canada Be- but before that he was I know it's complicated right it's he all good. liberated by the British and spent the last year of the war um, uh, translating for them and then because of that because he wore a British uniform he was allowed to emigrate to uh, Australia Canada, I think one other country I can't remember right now. So they chose Canada. We came here. My mom's dad, my other grandpa, who died when she was 10 in a car accident, but he served in Korea. And, um, you know, I thought as a, as a young man, I thought, what a great way to represent your country and also find yourself, you know, and challenge yourself. I was a very bored young young man like most of us uh found school tedious uh you know things like that and the army really just drew me in and um and also i think provided an outlet for a lot of the the energy that i had how long were you in all told uh i managed to squeeze in 20 years total uh three of them though were uh reserve time okay so that wasn't enough to get your 20 for uh the full pension uh, well, right. So when I got wounded in 07, General Hillier said, nobody will be released that's wounded in combat, right? So we had that Kavit, uh, which was a bit of a, I guess for policy, it was a bit of a struggle. But um, it allowed me to stay in past the three years post-injury that uh, universality of service typically uh, requires. And uh, I was... I was, uh, so I spent, you know, the last seven years of my career dealing with being wounded, so to speak, you know, and, and, you know, as a, you know, as younger, I was, a, you know, just turned 30, uh, right before I got blown up and I could have stayed those last three years. I have no doubt or, or last two and a half, technically when you add up the time and I should have, I think looking back, but I had, uh, other ideas, you know, I'd been on the show amazing race. Yeah. Uh, Canada, and I was, uh, you know, publishing a book and stuff, and I kind of thought that uh, it was time to move on, Uh, but I think I might have left early, but I mean, I I left having won an election, (laughs) so, you know, I thought my future was pretty secure, right, and uh, and so, you know, like I said, Mark, looking back, I wish I'd stayed into my full twenty. Yeah, uh, but I don't. I don't necessarily regret it. I just kind of regret the, the extra couple bucks on my pension that I would have every month. Well, you must be getting a medical pension, though. Yeah, well, I get the pension for life, as they call it now. Yeah, um, which is uh, it's an interesting policy. I do. I have been doing some 
like consulting with Veterans Affairs uh, in the last couple of years, and and it's uh, it's a great initiative. It's uh, unfortunately still not the same kind of financial uh, support that we would have had under the old pension system. Um, and it's a combination of a few different allowances and stuff, but you know they. Uh, I thought you would be under it, the old it, program because it changed in '06. Well, right, but you had until I got wounded January seventh. Sorry, I got wounded January eleventh, two thousand seven. Oh, okay. And the switchover was April two thousand uh, six. If I remember right, because Paul Franklin, if you remember his name, I've he met was him. Wounded. Oh, you know Paul, right? So he lost. Well, both I've met. Names. I've met him. We, we, I'm, we haven't hung out, but I've met him. I've seen him at the Rolling Barrage and stuff like that. Right. So he got wounded in Jan of 20, 2006, and he was given the option for the new program versus the old, and he chose the old program. Right. So, and um, you know, but I, uh, like I said, I. I left a little earlier than I could have, uh, but I also was moving on to other things, right? Um, you know, but if anybody listening who's in uniform, try and get that 20 if you can. It's, uh, well, it's 25 now. They, uh, right, they, that's they, right. Yeah, it was, it was 20 in our day, but uh, now it's up to 25, which is still yeah. a short run, but not short when you're in the infantry. You know, there, <laughs> there, there was a reason it was only 20 years. Uh, yeah, yeah. A brother of mine, um, he's still in rifle company, infantry rifle company, and he's like at 33 years service, something like that now. Tom Cole, he's in the second battalion in Winnipeg. Uh, well, not Winnipeg That's anymore. Awesome. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. He, he walks yeah. like he's been riding a bull all day, but um, what? Tom, what? He, he's walking like he's riding a bull all day, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. what it does to your knees and your hips. Most guys, uh, three years and they could have lifelong injuries, but 30 yeah. some odd years and Tom Cole is still going. He's a goddamn hero. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. He's a fucking legend, that guy. <laughs> a fucking legend. Love him to death. He was. Uh, we did the same tour together as well. He's he's done several, like eight or nine tours. It's ridiculous, but uh, we were on the same one. Right on. Let's talk PTSD a little bit. Here, you got sure. some. <laughs> well, uh, actually, technically, uh, and medically, I don't have PTSD, right? Okay. But I have all the other indica- I have all the indicators. Um, for it, but uh, I just recently was reassessed, and uh, and they said, yeah, you have. I have. I've had depression. Obviously, uh, getting your legs blown off is a bit of a shock to the system. Um, and I've had. Um, I had an OSI, of course, uh, things like that that I'm still dealing with. But under the technical terms, I don't fall under PTSD. I don't know. I've. Uh, I'm not going to argue too much. I don't, I, it doesn't make a difference to me monetarily wise. I still get all the support I need for mental health uh, and stuff. And I, and I live with someone who has PTSD, uh, but, and we're both so similar. Uh, we were talking about that yesterday actually, because um, you know, I was blown up. You, as you know, being infantry, we hit our head sometimes. Uh, so, you know, there's talk about perhaps there's a, some mitigating traumatic brain injury, uh, perhaps that led to certain uh, behaviors. Um, but I, um, my mental health as a whole, and I, and you know, 
it, it you know, has been uh, dicey for the last five years, especially. And, you know, I went through some severe, um, you know, I was at a, uh, addiction issues. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I had to quit drinking booze. Uh, I had, I had to quit social media. I had, you know, I, I kind of alienated myself from everybody. And, you know, so all this, it was all the same, you know, so not to pick fly shit out of pepper about my diagnosis. <laughs> I love that saying. But, uh, yeah, I know. When the first time a sergeant yelled it at me, it was the best <laughs> I ever heard. But, um, you know, I think, um, I think, um, I think mental health is, uh, you know, it's a marathon of, of, um, of things. And once you have an issue, you know, it's like any other injury. Uh, you know, I have a couple spots in my back being infantry that I, you know, keep an eye on. And I think, you know, moving forward, it's, it's and, and this is the kind of things I've been saying for a long time about mental health is that, you know, it's up to you to maintain it. But it's also, you know, you have to, you know, having just gone through what I went through, you have to let yourself experience certain things or else, you know, what typically happens is we crash and burn. And that's what I did. I, I basically uh, had burnout and, and a few other things along with all the other problems I had. And, and I attributed 100%, sorry, <laughs> not 100%, a large percentage is the mental, my mental health post-injury and my, you know, I don't know, my, my, my inability, to, I guess, to, to completely stay on top of it. What have you been doing to look after yourself as far as mental health? Like what sort of coping, healing, um, diligence uh, is part of your routine to, to stay on top of it? Because it is a fucking challenge, you know? Yeah. So, you know, Mark, that's a great question because <clears throat> I think one of the things that helped me avoid the PTSD um, diagnosis is that I started talking about my injuries almost right away. Uh, if you Google uh, Rick McInnes Ray at CBC, and he had a show, I think, called Dispatches, and uh, within a week or two of me being wounded, I told part of my story. And um, I, that's the one thing I think separated me from a lot of the other people or sorry, a lot of other people when it comes to their mental health is, um, you know, recognizing that there is an issue. Mine was physical at the time, but, you know, it, it all translates it, into it's, mental. It's, it's combined. Yeah, right. it goes hand and, in hand. Uh, and so realizing that, being told that, I was told that over and over, like, you know, you got to watch your mental health. So I started right away seeing a psychiatrist um, while I was still in the recovery uh, psychologists, um, and then I started reading all kinds of uh, things about meditation. You know, I did yoga before I got wounded, so I started in, uh, incorporating like meditation yoga into my into my recovery program, which ultimately turned into my daily just fitness routine, right? And uh, so, as long as I, I did my fitness and my journaling, which is how, what helped me write the book, and um, you know, it sounds silly, but, you know, the daily affirmation, you know, like uh, at the RCR, you know, we have a motto, you know, never pass a fault. Mm -hmm. So I tried to pick something like that for my daily life and I picked never quit. And so, you know, whenever I had a moment, like, you know, often I, I wake up and I look at my legs and, you know, I'm just like, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my prosthetic legs. And I just, 
Still, uh, the last thing I want to do is put those on today, but but I do anyway. Still to this and, day, Jody. Uh, sorry. Still to this day. Oh yeah, I'm wearing them right now. Uh, you can't see because I'm in my, uh, my what, spouse's. Uh, what SUV. I mean, like, is it still like ah fuck? You know, today? well, some days, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sir, you know, Mark, um, the story or the the things I'm telling you are, are the things I did for my mental health for ten years post injury, and at some point in 2017, it became too much for me. Yeah, and that's when I stopped taking my own advice. I stopped doing the things that kept me, you know, um, healthy and 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 moving forward, like uh, the gym, uh, talking to good people. Um, uh, like I said, journaling, uh, and by journaling, I mean like a record of your thoughts, you know, because you have to self-analyze yourself because nobody else is going to do it unless you ask them and their interpretations aren't going to be necessarily the best or the most accurate. Like you are your best, um, you're your best, uh, advocate, so to speak. You're your best Kate. You remember in the army, right? You're your best career manager. And so, you know, you're your best mental health uh, advocate and, uh, and um, practitioner. And um, sorry about that. I just got a call come in. It's all good. <laughs> Decline. And, um, and so I had a whole routine, you know, like, uh, like you asked. I would go to the gym. I'd spend time with the kids, walk the dog, you know, make sure I did my uh, daily duties, so to speak, uh, at home. Um, but I got like, when I got to the point where I couldn't maintain it all, um, you know, I, I went down pretty quickly and pretty hard and, uh, some of it's public, um, you know, my, the drug issues and the, and the alcohol issues and, and then, you know, man, um, I went through a long period of where I didn't, uh, want to talk to anybody and I didn't find my, <clears throat> my, myself relevant in, in, in that. And what I mean by that is that felt like I had been an imposter uh, the whole time that imposter I was this, syndrome. Uh, advocate. Um, sorry, what'd you call it? Imposter syndrome. It's really common, brother. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I just heard of that a little while ago. So I think that was part of my issue. But that was all post-fall. Like fall, yeah. Um, and I think my fall was inevitable in some ways, but uh, avoidable in others where, and what I mean by that is I don't, I think it could have been less traumatic <laughs> for me what happened in the last few years, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's over with and it's behind me now. And, and that's why, you know, I'm start, I want to get back into the things that kept me happy before, you know, podcast, I used to have my own podcast. I'd love to have it again. Um, you know, spending time with troops, uh, advocating for veterans, uh, now, uh, you know, advocating for addictions and mental health and how they go, you know, they're, they're, what do you call, they're almost truck and trailer to each other that, you know, if you have an addiction, you probably have a mental health issue. And I didn't realize that before. Um, uh, I'm kind of got lost here, but you know, it's okay. Ultimately, you know, I had to go on a journey, I guess, because I think part of two Mark for 10 years, I did all those things thinking that it would, I would avoid mental health issues, so to speak. Um, of course, realizing I'm dealing with them and I'm going to counseling. And, you know, that one thing I think that really helped, like, helped me fall was when I stopped going to see my mental health practitioner. Um, and I didn't mean to 
<laughs> uh, but it just kind of, I just kind of let it fall off the schedule, so to speak. And never were, you at, were you at a point where like, okay, I got this now. I don't, I don't need any more help. I, I've got it. Is that, is, is that why? It was, it was actually more, this is uncomfortable because it's, he's pointing out things that I know are true. And, uh, and, and, uh, and also I, you know, I was too busy for a little bit, you know, as a brand new city counselor, a book was coming out, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of excuses to ignore, um, self, um, I don't know, self maintenance, uh, yep. so to speak. And, um, uh, you know, I, I know I'm kind of bouncing around on you a little bit here. No, it's all good. The, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a unique journey and I've learned a lot about what, you know, I think I thought here's, here's, I thought I understood mental health issues until I actually had some severe ones, you know, and I got very depressed and I never thought of suicide or anything, but I, the one day last summer I had a thought of, well, what, whatever the thought process was, my, my last thought was, what's the difference if I am here or not? Yeah. And, uh, and that was the, and like, it, it wasn't, I never thought of like, Oh, I should kill myself. That never came to my mind or anything. But that thought though, I think when I, you know, that day that I had it, I was like, Oh, well that's dangerously close to the word suicide in my opinion. I don't know. It's just, it was in my mind. I, I've, I've day. been in that place a yeah. lot and that yeah. is exactly what it is. And it's actually the most dangerous part where you're like, what's, what's the fucking point? What, what difference does it make if I'm here or not? That's yeah. the danger yeah. spot. You know, yeah. if, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's, sorry to cut you off, but I think that's when I was at my lowest. Yeah. And, um, I was separated from my partner and uh, my kids and I uh, was, you know, I had isolated myself and I was, you know, and I don't have any problem with marijuana. I, I still uh, um, take some uh, cannabis here and there to help with a few things. I'm trying to go, uh, I want to go completely clean for a while. So like I, I'm not taking Tylenol or anything, but I, I, di- I, uh, I digress. Um, the day I had that thought, you know, I, I, I never touched uh, marijuana again for until for over a year, and I and I, I started the paperwork to be uh, allowed to go and and get some serious help uh, at a place called. Um, uh oh, I'm having a brain fart. Homewood <laughs> here in go. Ontario, and they are a facility that the Canadian Armed Forces have been dealing with since I believe post World War Two. It's a great place. They have a program just for military, if that's what you want. And they can deal with everything from, you know, you're sad to you're addicted to your your bipolar. They have all that stuff there. It's great. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I said, okay, I'm going to take time. Because they tell you it's 60 to 90 days. And the first thought that goes through your head is like, I don't have time for that. (laughs) And, um, but my, my attitude became, well, all the things we said before, I'm my mental health advocate. It's my life to live. I'm only 44 at the time, 43 or whatever. I still got a lot of life left. And what's 60 days compared to the next 40 years? You know, and um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say I had an epiphany or I had an aha moment, but I just, I realized that, that one thought, what's the difference if Jody's here or not, if I'm here or not, that I, I don't want, I didn't want to be in that place anymore. 
and I didn't like it. And I, and I, and I realize anyone who has been in, in that position, you know, I have all kinds of empathy for now and, and I had empathy before, but not like I do now. Yeah. No, I get and, it. Yeah. And, and it, and it's, um, you know, it's all been a learning process, Mark. And I, and it still is like, you know, I'm, I've only been home here since the end of March. So I got home like March 25th, uh, here in, here in Ottawa from, from the program at Homewood. And I'm, so I'm still, you know, I'm still getting settled in and still trying to, um, have more better days than bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 50, 50 right now. One of the things that this show does, Jody is, uh, we're an aggregate for healing modalities. So as you go through the show list, I think me and you are going to be about episode 107, something like that. It'll be out in a couple okay. of weeks. But um, everything you could flip and think of uh, is on here. Every coping, every healing, uh, and I'm just getting started at 106, 107 episodes. Uh, there's more coming. Uh, at the end of this month, uh, there's a ketamine clinic guy that's, that's going to be on. Um, it's going to be a national <laughs> chain, but the first one's going to be here in Calgary. And, um, uh, there's some really promising stuff. I'm so glad that you share, you've been sharing your experience exactly the way that you've been sharing it. Because one of the mantras that I say at group is recovery is an activity, not an event. Mm. It's an activity, not an event. That's a really great way of putting it. As soon as you stop the activity, the cheese slides off the cracker, man. (laughs) Like it's like, uh, uh, they say about motivation. It's the same thing with healing. Uh, uh, yeah. Motivation's like bathing. You know, you can't do do it just once. You get pretty you stinky. Brush your teeth every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> it's got to be a regular part of the routine. Because yeah. if yeah. you don't, you start getting pretty stinky. Yeah, and you know, like, and that's a great like going back to my big long winded uh, story a minute ago. <laughs> um, that's what I did. I stopped brushing my teeth. Yeah. And uh, think, and part of it was arrogance, and part of it was just um, like I said, I don't know. It was uh, it was interesting. My when I look back at my mindset and some of the things that I would think about, and some of the thoughts that I had, and some of the things that happened, <laughs> you know, it's I find it quite odd. But also remember, in the moment, it felt like that's the way things should be. Yeah, you know. Um, but anyway, um, I, uh, I'm actually very interested in the psychedelic, um, treatment, uh, psychedelic slash, I mean, is ketamine considered a psychedelic? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. The the reason that they chose, uh, ketamine over psilocybin or MDNA is the, was the logistics of it. They actually don't understand it at all, but they know it works and they know how to use it. They don't know how or why it works. They just know that it does. But uh, regulatory issues uh, pointed them towards ketamine. But if it works, it works. It, I've, yeah. I've been playing with psilocybin. That shit works. It's good stuff. I just would prefer to do are you, it clinically. Are you allowed to say that? Is that, is that legal? Uh, not overly. No. But, um, <laughs> it's your uh, show, bro. <laughs> but uh, I do it anyway. And, yeah, right it, on. And, and it helps. It definitely helps. It's, yeah, I um, thought about going to South, uh, like Brazil, and doing like mm-hmm. ayahuasca, one hundred percent. And then I and then I watched someone do it in the in like a mud hut in the jungle, and they're cool. shitting and pissing and throwing up all over themselves. And 
Yeah. And I was like, that, that doesn't look like that much fun to do in a wheelchair if <laughs> I had to. <laughs> but, I, but you know, I'm very interested in a, a friend of mine. Uh, do you know a guy named Bruno Gourma? I sure do, yeah. He's yeah, been, he's so been I, on my other I, show. I believe he, uh, he's he been doing some research into that kind of stuff, and uh, he was talking to me about it. So I'm pretty... Uh, Pretty interested in trying it when I can. Well, it's actually uh, one of Bruno, Bruno's um, affiliates that uh, is part of this. It's called Newly, I think. Uh, okay. And uh, Dr. Richard Pucci, I think he was the top doc in the CF. And so he's part of this comp- uh, uh, company. And I was, I was just speaking with the chief science officer um, just the other day <laughs> at length, actually. But it sounds really promising. It's a tough, tough program. It's uh, four weeks of eight, uh, eight hours a day at the clinic. Like, it's it's intense. But you come out the other end nice and shiny. So <laughs> could be good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's anything is worth trying once if, yeah. it's, if it has benefits, you know. Well, I'm a psilocybin fan. That's for damn sure. Um, All right, we'll talk after the show. Hell yeah. I was, uh, when I was reading up on you, uh, um, under PTSD therapy, therapy, Ellie came up, E-L-L-I-E. Yeah. What's, what's so that? I, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just, yeah, go, go ahead. I'm just asking. I, I did, uh, I did a thing with, you remember when, before Vice magazine went, uh, went complete <laughs> left wing, so to speak, um, I worked with some of their guys on a show for their, they have a technology page called uh, Motherboard. Okay. So uh, I, I I plan to do three episodes with them, each one a different PTSD treatment or mental health uh, or OSI treatment. And Ellie uh, was the, uh, she's basically um, a virtual reality uh, counselor uh, that you can have on your phone or on your computer or I guess maybe log in. And she talks you through whatever issues you want to bring up with her. And, uh, you know, this was 2000, I want to say 13 maybe. Okay. And at that time my mental health was doing pretty good and stuff like that. But I went in and sat down with this computer and it had me talking about stuff that I was, didn't even, you know, realize I thought about frankly. And you'd think that, talking to uh, an avatar would would be uncomfortable but it actually pretty quickly became um, became interesting and uh, hmm. and I think um, uh, Ellie is I don't know what Ellie what they've done with Ellie since I was expecting to have heard by now but um, you know if anybody has sees has seen it or knows what it what Ellie is that you know it's something that I think is uh, well worth looking into if you have uh, mental health issues. Well, it makes sense because it would be a non-threatening, non-judgmental way of just processing. It's the next, but it's, you know, one up on talk unto yourself. But, um, (laughs) and you're exactly right about one of the things you said, Jody, Um, because you told the story earlier, you know, right off the bat, uh, that's why you think that you um, fared as well as you did. And that is totally true. What happens right. when when you don't talk about it? When you don't process it, it festers and it and it grows in a mold, like a bad mold or like a cancer. And right. um, I was undiagnosed for over twenty years, despite right. all the evidence. You know, anybody with half a um, of an understanding, what is it? Ooh, <laughs> come here. We got to talk. 
this is what's going on with you. And of course, I would have told them that they were full of shit because I'm like, no, I, I'm fine. I'm good. But I wasn't yeah. good. I, wasn't, I was nowhere near good. Yeah, but Mark, I think a big part of the experience, you know, like it's easy to look down and go, oh, my legs were blown off. Uh, I think, you know, a big part of, of healing is acknowledging that, you know, what other people are telling you is, is probably true. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it takes time though to, for me, it did. And I, for you 20 years, right? Like for 20 years, you didn't think you were a hundred percent. Obviously you probably thought, Oh, I got some issues, but not a big deal. Right. Uh, and all I, all I knew for sure. Um, like right out, right out of the army, I went into college, into police college. And, right. um, when I graduated, uh, police college, I, I, I was a bit concerned about me being a cop. I thought, you know, I got a little bit of a temper issue oh, <laughs> and, and I could end up punching an old lady in the face or something, you know, it'd be bad. I'm going to get <laughs> fired and, um, not unlike the, the sniper, um, furlong that you had mentioned earlier, you know, uh, he, he was with EPS Edmonton police service and, uh, there was an incident where he just acted like an army guy and now he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got we can get into trouble uh, sometimes, but uh, <laughs> but but what I guess what I'm saying is like you know the healing process truly starts with yourself. One hundred percent. You know, and you know, going back to my my little uh, story about last summer, you know, part of my internal dialogue was, you know, Jody, the the common denominator with all the situations that you've been finding yourself in, and all the um, aggression, uh, and the anger and the, and, you know, like the moments of, um, confrontation that you, you find yourself in, which I, you know, most people that have known me a, a long time will say like, I'm, I'm not typically like that. Um, you know, I realize it's like, Oh, I'm the common denominator, you well, know? Yeah. And, and is it, is this, are the situations, playing out as they should or am I reacting in the wrong way or am I behaving in the wrong way to begin with and all you know and and all that could be is your tone for the day Mm -hmm. you know like uh, you might think you're being polite but maybe curt whereas you actually may be um, coming off as quite aggressive and like you said we don't necessarily know where that line is because of our, you know, our, our lifestyle and our, what we train to do for a living. Um, but you know, you, for, you have to acknowledge that you need to fix the problem to, to really get started. One of the sayings that was told to me that uh, over the years has become more and more true is that I am the problem and I am the solution. I am the Absolutely. problem. I am the solution. And it's fucking true. It is tough to wrap yeah. your head around it. But it is true, and it is the beginning of healing. I, 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 agree. I, I think that was when I really started to change uh, for the better. Is when I is when I told you know, like I said, put down the weed, uh, reached out for some real help, and told myself like I'm the only one who can get me out of this. Like nobody else is gonna come. They, you know, lots of uh, don't, okay. Nobody, don't get me wrong. I've had nothing but support from the community. Um, the military community, the veterans community, the you know law enforcement, first responders, the general public, my political colleagues, um, 
you know, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm, you know, you or me or, uh, you know, any of our friends and colleagues, they're the one, we're the ones that has to walk yourself through the door to get the help. I got and, a, um, I got go a ahead. question for you. Uh, do, yeah. do you know, do you know who, who Tommy Anderson is in Newfoundland? Afraid I don't. Interesting. I might, you know what I may, I, sorry, I have a bit of a memory issue. Yeah. <laughs> so a I lot of us do. Him, but, but, uh, but the name doesn't ring any bells right now. So I just, I just wanted to get your your experience of being a bilateral amputee. So Tommy lost his legs on our tour. Um, it was a mind strike right off the bat in April. Like we were there for like a week. And uh, he hit a uh, hit a mine in his iltus and uh, sheared off both his legs below the knee, just like you. And Sorry, what, what, where was this? In Croatia. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I haven't heard this story. Yeah, uh, so it was his second tour, my only tour, and um, we had just got there. The first mine strike happened like the second day. Uh, somebody hit it with a carrier, but survived. Uh, not too bad for injuries. And then a few a few days later, uh, Tom Anderson uh, hit one, and they got blown out the top of the Iltis. And um, for those that don't know, an Iltis is the old army jeep that we used to have. It's kind of a piece of shit, but uh, and all they. I think they're awesome. <laughs> well, they're cool. But uh, all we had on the floor, um, like there was no ballistic plates underneath it or anything like no. that. Like it, it wasn't up armored. It was just a ballistic blanket, which is basically yeah. like a fat black um, flak jacket uh, that was on yeah. the floor of it. But they, it's so they can identify your body after. <laughs> that's about it. And he every year he yeah. posts a picture of this Eltis and it gives me the freaking heebie because I saw it firsthand. You know, yeah. uh, we, I drove right, it's like, whoa, and I saw the wreckage. Blew the yeah. front of the Eltis clean off, sent the two of them out the top of the roof. Um, the sergeant was mangled pretty good, but Tom lost his legs. Anyway, yeah. uh, Tommy tells me, and he's not the only one that tells me, that as part of the procedure as, uh, to continue to get his benefits, that he has to prove his, his legs didn't grow back every year. Now, I, I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth, you know, uh, is, is that a misnomer? Is that said not quite right, or is it true? So, it's true in one way, but it's it's not true in the, I know I keep doing this a lot. Like I said, it's my first podcast in a while, I'm a little nervous. Uh, for the um, listening audience, because this is audio, he's doing air quotes when he says true. So, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I got to translate um, it. The video didn't so work for the, us. Yeah, the purpose of that particular question goes both ways. So what what Veterans Affairs is actually trying to do is determine if you've gotten better or worse since the last time they asked. And, you know, Paul Franklin's been in the media a few times for this one. Um, uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> Paul, Paul is, uh, you know, rubs... They they rub Paul the wrong way. Whoever deals with him, and and uh, and he he's actually had his wheelchair confiscated by people. So I I can see why he's very sensitive to it, and that that should never happen. But but Veterans Affairs, and I'm a you know a full disclosure, I'm a I'm a um, consulting employee of Veterans Affairs, but their goal is to like I said, find out if you've gotten better or worse. And by better, obviously your legs haven't grown back, but like for me, um, let's say in 2016, I was training to be in a, 
a bodybuilding show, so I was in great shape. Yep. I had two books published. I had I was a city councilor. You know, I I was doing great. I was, you know, I barely slowed down. I wore my legs for eighteen hours a day. It was it was awesome. <laughs> um, by the summer of 2019, I couldn't wear my legs. I uh, or sorry, by by 2017, I couldn't wear my legs. I was in the in the pits of uh, mental despair for whatever reason. I, you know, I I had actually gotten worse. So when I had to do that question, um, you know, it was pretty obvious that th- something had gone wrong. Right. Yeah. So Veterans Affairs was able to implement the um, uh, support system that supports someone that is in the state that I was in at that time. You know, uh, but also if you've gotten better, um, you know, maybe you don't need as much uh, support, or, or maybe you need different support in, in other areas. So the the one thing that is uh, a negative about it, in my opinion, is you know. If you're deemed, um, I guess, less sick or improved, there is a possibility you may lose certain financial benefits. Right. Um, so I think that you know is one of the things that puts guys off uh, because regardless of if I'm feeling great or not, I still don't have my legs. Yeah. And so all the benefits that I have, I need them when I'm not at my best. And when you need them... It takes time to implement them, and uh, you know, part of my problem when I, you know, when it got real bad was that the system, you know, takes, you know, it's the bureaucracy, right? So it took quite a while once I couldn't work and all that for my benefits to kick in, and and you know, by then I'm behind in my bills, and I'm feeling more and more like the uh, like a victim. At the time, I was feeling more like a victim of the system, and and things like that, you know, so just as exact, exact, exacerbated, (laughs) um, the situation. So I think, I think that's where a lot of the negativity comes from, but also, you know, uh, it could be simply a a check in a box on a form where it just says, never ask this guy about his legs again. You know, like it's, it's one of those things where can the system avoid, you know, uh, touchy subjects? Sure. But at the same time, you know, it, you have to be documented to to receive the proper care as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm trying to play devil's advocate here because um, I I don't personally find it that intrusive or bad a, a question because it's 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 like I said, it's not that you got to prove your legs are still gone. It's that they're asking you like, how are you actually doing overall? Yeah, is, is there any further issues? And like for, for Tom Anderson, all these years later, shrapnel is coming out of his dead eye. One of his eyes died. Um, and, but he, he still likes to have it in his head, uh, but he might be losing his eye. So right, all right. these fricking years later, he blew up in 94. And uh, so, I mean, circumstances change and circumstances with mental health change. So I mean, exactly, yeah. It's good to do an annual checkup. It's like, hey, how are you doing? You know, is, are there are there any changes? But uh, asking you if your eye grew back or your legs grew back is uh, uh, well. They, obviously, Mark, though that question isn't on the form. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's it's uh, it's how it's perceived by the by the uh, by the member. Yeah, and you know. Uh, but anyway, I, I like I said, there. Um, 
anyway, I think we beat that. We're yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> um, I'd like your take on uh, our federal government fighting veterans in court. There's that famous clip of the town hall with Brock Blazik. Uh, mm-hmm. Apologize if I uh, pronounce it wrong. Member of our reg, uh, he was a Patricia. Never met him. Don't know him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he lost one leg and, and the other one's mangled pretty fucking good. And, uh, you're asking for more than we can give right now. When that answer was given to him, I was asked the same question, um, a week ago. Um, what, uh, what I thought of Justin, you know, listening to, to that, uh, famous, moment of, right. uh, of answering to a wounded veteran just asking for more than we can give right now but that was in reference oh it's all about context that was reference to the fights in court which i don't even uh full full disclosure i don't even know what those fights were about in court i don't know anything about it i was wondering if you had any insight on that uh yeah you know what's funny uh mark it not even a week ago, I think this particular moment was playing in my head for some reason. Yeah. And, um, I'm going to get a little, I'm going to get in a little trouble here. I think as a, as a community, veterans may benefit from a complete examination of where they truly sit in Canadian society. And I say that to preface what I'm about to say because I think overall we got it pretty good and we earned it the hard way, yes, but <laughs> we, knew that, we knew that going in. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so it's not like anyone can say uh, they were tricked into going into combat or anything. Not, you know, it's not like we're drafted, right? Yeah. We're fully volunteer force. We almost always have been. You know, we, we uh, as a country, our military, you know, was considered the, the best in the world, you know, right up until World War II. Just uh, how we organized, you know, we kept the Americans from invading. I know I'm going way back, but the point I'm making is that in Canadian society, uh, the militiamen, the veterans, the reservists, the war fighters have always been revered. Um, for when we need them. And, you know, I, I know we, we sometimes, as a culture, will say, well, they only want us when they need us. Well, well, yeah, that's when you don't want to hang out with the uh, exterminator unless you need him, right? Yeah. So um, so all that to say that, you know, when that question was asked and answered to that prime minister coming from that particular uh, veteran in that town hall, I think what what Trudeau really meant was that it's it's not more than we can give, it's more than we think we should right now based on our other priorities, mm-hmm. right? So as great as veterans are and as amazing a job as we did in uniform and as great as the military is and the job it does, in his mind, and I'm not trying to excuse him or anything, I, I do believe it was an answer that he probably regrets, but this government has other priorities. Um, big, one of the bigger ones being the environment and and, uh, and things like that. And I think that's probably what Trudeau was trying to say. Is like in the big picture of what we're trying to do. You know, you're asking for more than we're willing to give. And um, you know, I think uh, I think that like. I, what I was referring to when I 
started to answer your question is we need to, as a community, look at what we really want. You know, is it, is it just, do we just want more money? Because uh, money's great. Everybody loves money. Um, but is it really, you know, is it, is it what we need? Is it what will fix things? Do we need more support? And if so, what is it? Uh, you know, this show, your show, my old podcast, your show, other pod, you know, this is all part of us asking or figuring out or talking amongst ourselves about what do we really want. Um, you know, I think, um, I just think, you know, both, two things can be true at once. You know, yeah. uh, do we need more? Yes. But do we need more of what necessarily we think we need? I don't know. Um, like I said, I don't have the best pension that I could have, but I do pretty good compared to the average Canadian. If I compare my annual income on my medical pension and my, and my forces pension and, uh, you know, my household is above average on income. You know, we have two veterans here, both earning pensions and medical pensions. Um, the average Canadian, uh, you know, their income isn't, you know, isn't much different. And, you know, I, if I never wanted to work again a day in my life, I don't have to, if I, you know, just wanted to hang out at home and, you know, hit the Legion once a month or whatever, I could do that and be, and, and, and I never have to worry about where my money is coming from, you know, and I know from now to the day I die, I will be getting a certain amount of money per month indexed. And so that actually makes financial planning pretty easy. And is a uh, huge help for mental health because it takes a major, major stressor away. Well, you know, and that's, a, and the, like I said, my worst moments came when I quit politics and didn't have a job, yeah. you know, and I, and I, and I thought I was out of the game and I thought I'll never get back to where I was. You know, I was, I was in a low spot, but not having a financial uh, net really affected me for a moment. Like I even, you know, for, for a, for a couple of days, you know, I, I wasn't homeless, but I had put myself into a position where my, you know, my part, my girlfriend at the time and I had to live in a hotel because, uh, you know, be, you know, because of my, my mental health, I hadn't done the paperwork, like I said, to get all of my benefits going, um, you know, and, and so anyway, I, I know I'm getting long winded on you, but I honestly think that that particular moment highlights, you know, the dichotomy that we have, like, are we marginalized, perhaps, but are we also pretty decently taken care of? I think so. I, I think we actually are, Mark. I agree. And like, I'm a member of dozens of veterans groups and uh, right. that, that I, so I see all kinds of, of comments on, on Facebook and whatnot, but all in all, when I asked for help, I got help and it was, it was reasonably, and were, were there issues? Yeah, there was issues. You know, it took me 10 months um, from the time I reached out to actually talk to a therapist. That's, right. but they have stopgap measures to try to, um, it's called the stabilization series. Like there, there's something there. Well, it wasn't but Johnny you know, on the Mark, spot, but there was you, help, there was help there and I'm grateful for it. Right. And, but it took 10 months, but you got it. But I got it. I know, I know. A friend of mine's daughter was suicidal. They never did. Like, she grew out of it. She's now an adult. She's in her 20s. But when she was, like, 15, she, like, this kid was, you know, depressed, suicidal. She never did get any counseling, period. Yeah. 
Um, you know, she, she never got on the wait list and she just, she never managed to make her way up to the top of the, uh, of, uh, sorry, she never managed to make her way to the top of the wait list before she was 18. You know, the average, again, going back to the average Canadian. So as an aggregate, Canadians are, you know, there's 38 million of us or whatever, and veterans and military make up, you know, I, I believe we're, if you, I don't know, I believe it's less than 3% right now, and that's falling quickly as the older generation is, is passing away. <clears throat> but we, we occupy a very unique position in Canadian society. As Canadians, veterans, I believe, if, if, you know, if all your dots are crossed and all your T's are dotted, you're good. You you know you you fall into a, a privileged. You're 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 a privileged culture, the veteran culture. You know in Canada again earned with blood, um, along the way, but um, well represented. You know well, um, well looked after in a lot of ways. You know I'm I'm hesitating here a little bit because I don't want to get too philosophical philosophical but at the same time you know like I said I look at it from what was I trying to achieve in my life you know and I said when I joined you know my parents were like well you know you're smart you can do this you know you you know army guys don't make a lot of money this and that and you know I always said like my goal is is to have a, a you know a long life of where I don't have to um worry I guess you know and a military career or a government any anything in the government will lead you to a to a to a retirement that is you know secure the the government's never going to bounce a check uh, yeah. on me and as time passes our resources are only growing and I believe um, as well that we we the the work we do for ourselves within our community translates into helping the, the greater overall public community. Mental health is becoming a bigger and bigger uh, talking point, mostly because of the experience of veterans in the last 20 years since 9-11. Uh, you know, police forces are catching up. First responding uh, course, um, uh, forces are catching up. Uh, the average Canadian is now, you know, like mental health has become a big, the, one of the biggest issues <laughs> internationally because of COVID and, you know, veterans are, you know, we, we were leading the way into more mental health help anyway. And, but, and also other help. Um, I, yeah, I don't know, man. Like I said, I get, I get, it gets tricky around this kind of stuff because I've actually been a politician as well. And I understand the, the push and pull when it comes to resources um, because at the end of the day, there's only one taxpayer and there's only so much money. And, um, you know, the government has to pick and choose their priorities. And, you know, I think we are where we are. You know, I don't, I don't know that we're being shortchanged, but I also, I don't know that we're, um, anyway, sorry, man, I've kind of. No, it's all good, brother. It's all good, but we're at that hour mark anyway, and I know you've got uh, places oh, no. to go. I and mean, we can, we can take a few more minutes if you, you want. Are you good? Well, all right. Well, let me switch gears to some fun stuff then. Um, uh, How did you get on the Jocko podcast? I mean, that's that's <laughs> something. Well, it was before Jocko was um, was Jocko. He was he had just done Joe Rogan. 
if you if you're a podcast person, so Joe Rogan's a podcast that I've listened to since uh, since it came out, and uh, big fan of it. And Jocko was on it, and uh, and I had my po- I'd had a podcast, but I wasn't doing it anymore. But then also my book was coming out. Right. Or sorry. I enjoyed your I, podcast, my, by the way. Well, thanks, man. Like I said, it's still technically active, but we'll see what happens in the near future here. Um, but so anyway, my paperback of my book was coming out, and a mutual fan of Jocko's and mine connected us. And, uh, and yeah, I flew down to San Francisco, and um, or sorry, San Diego. And, uh, you know, it's funny. And Jocko and I laugh about this because we he had the same thoughts. I'm flying down there, and I'm like, what if this guy sucks? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, guys are great on podcasts and in public and this and that. But, like, what if like, what if he's just, uh, like, not cool? Or, like, what if him and I just don't vibe? Yeah. You know? Um, I But for the most part, I get along pretty good with Navy SEALs, so I wasn't too worried. But, you know, he was an officer, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. And so we get down there, and and, uh, and Jocko told me this after. When he came to pick me up at the airport, he was kind of eyeing me before he pulled up, like, you know, am I going to like this guy? Yeah. And um, we met, hit it off right away, uh, went and saw his, where, where he was at the time. His, his little studio was an office that he sh- that he borrowed off Echo Charles' brother. And... Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that complicated, um, you know. Now I, it's basically just an open invite. Whenever I'm around, uh, I can go down, or if I have something to talk about, you know, I can give him a call. But um, you know what Jocko does for the for our for the overall military community, I think is is a, is a great service, you know. And he and he's one of those guys that like I can't talk to him unless I'm doing best for myself. Yeah. If, and what I mean by that is. If Jocko says, hey, how's it going? You better, this is how I feel. You better come back with something like doing better, doing my best to get better every day. Yeah. You know, because that's what Jocko does. And, um, and so, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty good. And, you know, he's also, um, you know, he's got a very good mind for, for being around other people other people that are dealing with their post-service lives, you know, like, um, so yeah, you know, he's a great guy and I, you know, I really lucky to become a friend of his. Yeah, it's very cool. I, uh, it's definitely would be, uh, a dream and a half having him on here or, or, or the other way around. There's no way the, uh, the, well, I know a guy. Is that right? Maybe, maybe yeah, well, make that dream come true. Yeah. Well, the the reason being is that Jody, I get um, some pretty cool notes and letters uh, for feedback on the podcast. Um, people that have been in tears that uh, did not have the strength to reach out for help, but um, the only thing that they could do was listen to this show. So right. after listening to twenty, thirty episodes of it, that gave them enough confidence and courage to finally reach out for help professionally. And uh, so it's been working as a stepping stone. Um, people's lives have been changed. Like they tell me that uh, uh, people have, have left the, the dark place of, of suicidal ideations, you know, because um, they, because they saw hope and progress. So, the, but the resource you don't know about 
doesn't help. So, yeah, <laughs> you that's know, a, good point. a guy like Jocko, Jesus Christ, he'd blow the roof off it. And, uh, and that's great that you have a standing invite because if you ever do get back on the horse with the Jody Middick podcast, and I hope you do because I've listened to all of them. Uh, there's not many of them, but I listen to them. Um, uh, that would blow that uh, roof off as well. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you saying that, Mark. Like the show stopped right as my issues really started, you know. And you could hear that on the I show. Had- What's that? You could hear that on the show too. You could hear it yeah, in your tone. I mean, the last couple episodes, I re-listened to a couple of them recently, and I'm like, oh man, like, <laughs> you know, like you can hear it. And you know, we had a show where we drank and we did Krav Maga, and like, you know, it's kind of crazy and stuff. But it, but um, you know, ultimately, Mark, like you, my show is to highlight, you know, tools uh, or yeah. or resources, like you said, and and also celebrate our community. Like you know, when you and I joined, there was no veterans uh entrepreneur community there is no. you know there was if God, there no. was i never heard of like the most you heard about was guys that would mount your medals for you they're mostly sergeant majors and you kind of just had to get it let them, <laughs> let them do it and and that was cool no big deal uh some of the guys did woodworking you're like all right cool i guess but you know we have this real strong uh community now and you know it was building um after i got wounded and that's one of the reasons i wanted to do the show and you know i still want to do the show because i'm now in my mid-40s and um and i realize i'm one of the old guys now yeah and 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 i and like you said if i can influence and on a positively influence uh the future outcomes for for other members of of the of the unit pardon me and other veterans you know it's worth my time to you know to to do something and ultimately it's fun you know it's a good time and you get to talk to and meet incredible people like you you know like (laughs) i was i i've been avoiding podcasts for a while i've been asked to be on a few and and you know i just wasn't ready and now you know I, i bailed on you once and then you know you got uh, sick, if that's if I'm allowed to say that. No, I know. I uh, had the COVID. It was a rough ride. Yeah, and um, you know, today I said, you know what? Today was a today's one of the busiest days I've had in probably a year, and uh, and I'm glad that I'm able to sit down with you and talk to you, and now look forward to the rest of my day as well. Whereas just three months ago, man, like even well whatever what if three weeks ago or a month ago when we were supposed to talk the first time you know i just didn't have it in me yeah i get it and and your point about other people listening to your show and saying yeah your show helped me get out of my shell you know that's a big motivator for me and you know the if every one of us had a podcast i'd say there's still probably could be more yeah you know and uh so it's a great service that, that you do for the community and you know and uh, and frankly for us, as a you know, I can say as a podcaster, like I think I get more out of it than anybody else. It's, and I say it openly. Um, this show is just as selfish as it is altruistic. <laughs> you know, I yeah. do, I do it for me. I do it to get my head right. And uh, yeah. Theo Fleury says the same thing about his show, uh, which has just changed. Um, and I get it. I do this for me, and it just so happens that it helps other people too. But, but uh, yeah, exactly. which also helps me, you know, that's great right. dopamine for, for feedback when, when people are telling me, 
every other day I'm getting a message of thank you. This is how it helped. You know, this is the difference yeah. it made in my marriage. This is the difference it made with my, I have uh, people that are the, uh, the children of veterans or the children of right. first responders with PTSD. And they're like, Holy fuck, this is what's going on. It's, it's bonkers over here. How do I connect? And, um, uh, and they're coming to me or former spouses or current spouses, um, for, for support and understanding of what the injury is, how it manifests and how to deal with it as best as you can. Um, right. and what's funny is that the, the best performing shows are usually not with my guests and I've got some fricking rock stars on here yourself being probably the biggest one yet. And, well, thanks, uh, man. yeah, man, but it's been the monologues of me just, really? uh, uh, like here's, here's the topic I want to talk about cause I hear this all the time and here, here's what I think about this topic. Those seem to be the biggest ones. Weird. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's um, you never know what's going to hit with the audience, eh? You never know. You never yeah. know. But you just keep going. And most people quit after five or six episodes. You know, they're like, fuck it. Not getting enough likes. I'm, I'm quitting. Screw it. <laughs> and um, uh, But you can't look at it that way. You know, if you have a mission and a vision, which I do, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain. That's a big mission. Yeah. And yeah. by do, by making mental health uh, uh, resources and, easily accessible. Yeah. And Just Mark, you know, the thing you have to, you know, recognize is it's never done. It's never done. Right. So, so you can do a thousand podcasts and it's, you might, you know, it's, this, it's, it's great, but you'll need to do a thousand more and you still won't get done everything you want to do. And, yeah. and so that's the thing where if you want to, if you want to do something and do something well and consistently, that's the way to to have success, especially in the podcasting slash social media world. Is you know, it's uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like not all of us can be Joe Rogan. Yeah, that's right. You know, but here I am. I'm sitting in my car, uh, you know, because it's the quietest place in my house right now. Uh, and, <laughs> it works. Uh, we had technical issues, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, we're getting it done. We're getting it done. And uh, we're getting it done. And you know, and and. Uh, Sorry, man. You're just making me think about how much I actually miss doing my podcast, and um, and uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll talk, we'll talk, man. Maybe, uh, all right, brother. Well, we get it going again. and if you need a hand with it, you know, uh, <laughs> happy to give you a hand if I can. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. All right, brother. Well, uh, you stay on the line, and uh, we'll close her out. You're can listening. I give a quick shout out. Yeah, please do. So, uh, not to be uh, a corporate shill, but I just started working <laughs> with my friend, uh, Len, who runs a company called Arrowhead Coffee. Oh, sweet. And so he's former, uh, we were on Roto Zero together, and uh, he's uh, he, w- he was actually PPCLI. All right. And um, he might have deployed with you guys. Anyway, sorry. Uh, shout out to Len at Arrowhead Coffee, and I've started working with him uh, to help get the business uh, off the ground. And, um, you know, if anybody has time, go on Facebook. It's Arrowhead Coffee. On uh, The website is Arrowhead Coffee Company. And, uh, you know, former uh, members of the Canadian Armed Forces running it. It's all veteran-owned and operated, so well, have, you know, uh, check Len- it out. Have Len get a hold of me. Um, I'll, d- I'll do a free ad for him. I'll put him on some of the episodes. Right, it, right on, man. Fuck I'll yeah. Do that. All right, so. stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the drama recovery podcast. Mm-hmm.
everybody thanks for tuning in now i've got a favor to ask you and i know everybody asks for the same favor but it's really really important if you can help do your little bit by going to apple podcasts leaving a rating and a comment that would be awesome also on your favorite podcast platform whether that be spotify anchor google podcasts or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.